What's up, everybody? My name is Jacob Deaton, and thank you for coming back for another episode of Southern Wedding Professionals. And today, I have the distinct privilege and honor of talking with one of Charleston's great planners, Meredith from Sweetgrass Social. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. How are you? I am awesome. Uh, you know, I just uh, I just got back from a trip down um, to Charleston and Savannah, and it was great. I met some really uh, awesome people that I've been communicating with for a while, but really it was just great getting out of Atlanta. <laughs> I just got back from a wedding in Virginia, and it was so nice to just be somewhere else, anywhere else. Um, so I, I get that feeling. Yeah. So, um, man, uh, what's, um, tell, let's start with like just a little bit of background, just general, we'll get into depths about how you got to where you are and all that stuff, but let's just start with a little bit about Sweetgrass and, um, and what you guys do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, we are wedding planners, so we, um, we completely do weddings. Um, we don't dabble in the corporate market at all. Um, the company was founded in 2009, so we have seen a lot of changes in growth since then. Um, we have a couple of girls that work underneath us and do our um, full service event planning. Uh, we do um, a little bit of partial as well, but really we're focusing in on uh, major design details and do all of our design and planning in-house. So we don't outsource any of that. So we kind of wear a lot of hats throughout the planning process, but, um, but it's just the way that we've always done it. I think Charleston is one of those unique markets where we see design houses and um, planning logistics in one, um, whereas a lot of other markets will break that up. So uh, it's kind of unique about us. I would say that's very unique about you guys, like the, uh, and the geographic location in which you speak of, um, you know, here in Atlanta, there's far less of, I feel like those people taking on those ventures. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like uh, for whatever reason, Charleston has a plethora of that. Why do you think that is maybe, you know? I don't know. I mean, I guess just because it's all always the way it has been. Um, I mean, I do know that we are a very saturated market. I mean, we do have a lot of planners here. So while everyone does want to call themselves a planner and designer, I don't know that that's necessarily true for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, but I can only speak for, you know, ourselves and our process. We, um, that is the design piece is a big part of the process. And you will see that reflected in the pricing for the planners that are a design house and also to a planning team. Because normally, you know, in a large market, like for example, the Dallas market, you would come in and you would hire those two things separately um, and actually probably pay more of a premium than you even do here in Charleston, so. Right, that is that is really true. Charleston, I think last I read was the number one destination, uh, uh, destination place for a wedding in the country. Is that still true? You know, it's funny because I, I think there are a couple of areas that claim that. Um, <laughs> definitely see it. You know, I was, I'm doing a wedding in Colorado next year and they were telling me on a pitch on a call, oh, well, you know, you know, our area is the number one destination in the country. And I'm like, well, you know, Charleston always says that we are, um, we always say we're number two behind Vegas, if you count Vegas, um, you know, but I, um, I've always heard that. So I've always claimed that until I was told that in Colorado. So now we got to do some research and figure out who's actually number one. <laughs> Yeah, who comes out with this poll anyway that says like this is it? You know, is it? I mean, it's there's never 
it always seems to be like when you read those articles, like what's if, if you're a bride or a groom and you're looking for destination weddings and you, you know, you just type in popular or whatever, there, you know, there's a ton of people that say, oh, I have a list. And, you know, every one of those lists are slightly different, you know. So, uh, you know, I just wonder, like, you know, what even the metrics would be, um, you know, or how would you even find those metrics? Um, I mean, it would it, the data would be really hard to mine, I think, you know. I completely agree. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how they would even figure that out. But I mean, as far as, as far as our venues and um, the rate in which we book here, um, we we do book out a year in advance. We see venues that are at full capacity. Um, of course, things have shifted slightly due to COVID this year. But um, so if that's what we're basing it off of, uh, we are a very busy market for sure. Yeah, I Charleston um, never ceases to amaze me with the amount of talent that's there mm. uh, in the wedding industry as far as just people that do what you do. Um, mm. But also just the, I mean, the never ending scenic places uh, that you can have a wedding. Um, I, I mean, I've been to so many venues now um, and have met so many planners uh, from Charleston and they all, every, you know, all the venues, are, like so many, so many of the venues are A plus. Um, and some markets would be just thankful to have a few of those A pluses, um, you know. And uh, I mean, just the, the scenery in Charleston is just unbelievable. Absolutely. When you get some of those, the views that you get at some of the venues, um, it really helps carry a lot of the event design too. People don't, and clients say that a lot of time. They don't feel like they have to do a whole lot because they don't want to detract from the beauty of the venue itself or the view. Um, so, you know, that's that's a nice bonus of being right here on the water, having um, some of the historical properties that we have as well. Um, you know, this is a city that is is built on hospitality. I mean, really, our hospitality industry here um, is really what sets Charleston apart. I think we have so many amazing restaurants and hotels and um, so I, I think you add that plus the views I mean you've got a recipe for success for sure. Yeah, I, I'm just, every time I go back to Charleston, there's a new restaurant, like, and, you know, and it's, there's a new top chef that moved to town. Uh, there's a new, uh, you know, there's a new, uh, planner that's or whatever. So it just seems to be, um, you know, and then the staples of the, you know, the staples of the community, you know, still continue to thrive. It seems like just like there's, there's so much work there that there's enough to go around for just about anyone. So um, that's always a beautiful, a beautiful thing for a community. Yeah, absolutely. You know, speaking to the always a new restaurant, you know, we say amongst our friends that a bad restaurant really doesn't survive in Charleston because, <laughs> because we have so many good places to eat. We've all become food snobs. Um, so we, um, yeah, it's, it's not easy to diet in this city because there's always an opportunity to have a good meal and have a cocktail, no matter what time of day, what day of the week, so. Listen, my favorite, uh, I could say this because I don't live in Charleston and nobody would judge me, um, but like uh, every time I go to Charleston, um, there's a few places that I always try and hit up and, um, and get uh, food. So if you're, if you're traveling to Charleston and you're listening to this podcast, um, mm -hmm. Jake's favorite picks are, um, the Macintosh. Yeah. Um, I love that place. I love Leon's. Um, I thought Leon's for the prices that they have are like super on point. Um, Cause you get a lot of really great menu meals in Charleston, but 
um, their prices are like really on point. Um, I love Little Darling, mm-hmm. um, uh, but those are just a few. So you must like you must like seafood. I do. You like oysters. I do. Yeah, because all those places really hit the mark for that. Those are places that I would definitely pick. Um, have you ever been to 167 Raw? No, I haven't. Where is that? Oh, man. And it's down on East Bay. You absolutely need to hit that. If you like oysters and if you're into lobster rolls at all. Um, oh, yes. It's phenomenal. It's really, really good. Um, but for the people that are traveling to Charleston, too, you can't come to Charleston and not go to Hall's. I mean, Hall's Chop House is like, oh, God. It's like if I had to have a last meal on earth, it'd be there. Listen, and I understand why now, because this last trip that I took this past weekend, um, I went there for the first time. I've, I've, I've been there at Charleston, I, I can't tell you how many times now, but I've just always missed that place. And to, you know, the last night I was there, I was like, this is the night I go. So I walked in, I was greeted by this guy. I don't know if he's the, I don't know if he is Hal, but he was like Mr. Personality. And he was like, what's that? Red hair. I don't know. It was probably Billy. He's one of the owners. Uh, Billy. Yeah, yeah. He, that was his name. He's so good too at remembering who you are, remembering details about your family. He'll come up and bring you cocktails. I mean, that is the cornerstone of their business is the relationships that they formed because they make everyone feel like a million dollars when they walk in the door. I felt it from the minute he came in. He was like, he's like, hey, my friend, how are you doing? And I was like, I- I'm your friend? Like, you know. Uh, and, uh, and he was just immediately, he's like, would you like a table? He's like, would you like to sit at the bar? He's like, whatever you want to do. He's like, we're here to help you. Our, our house is your house, mm-hmm. you know? And I was like, our house is your house. Like who says this? <laughs> so he took me to the back bar and I sat at the back bar and I had the most delicious steak and, um, the bartender there made great martinis. And I can't think, I can't talk enough about that yeah. um, place. I'll tell you, you know, I, um, I take such inspiration from their level of service there because it reminds me so much of um, when I was young um, and even still to this day, my family, we would always go down to Sea Island in Georgia, um, the cloister. Um, Mr. Hall, who unfortunately passed away this past year, he, within the last six months, he, when he opened Halls, um, his background was in hospitality, but he, he worked at Sea Island for years. And so a lot of his training um, was really formed in these high-end hotels and um, in that industry. And so he learned how to make people feel amazing. And he taught that to his kids, obviously, because I mean, they're carrying it on in his name and whatnot. And so much of my inspiration for what I wanted my company to look like and how I wanted my clients to feel um, really comes from that service level that was shown at Sea Island and too that, you know, the Halls show here in Charleston, there is a, um, a certain certain way that people feel when they walk into those spaces. And I, that's how I want people to feel when they walk into my events. I want them to feel welcomed. I want them to feel appreciated. My, you know, my clients or just, you know, the, the random attendee, because I think that that makes such a huge difference. And you never know. I mean, your next client could very well be at that wedding. So... It's so true. I mean, let's, let's actually talk so great there. Like that was pro level. Um, let's, let's actually go back to how you got started and you know, what your, you know, the, you know, the beginnings were for you figuring out that maybe this was the industry for you. 
uh, maybe things you tried and failed at, like, and then you kind of got to this point. Walk us through that. Um, so I have kind of an, an interesting path as to how I got to um, events. Um, when I was in college and just after college, I worked for the National MS Society. So I kind of got my first taste of the event world working in nonprofit, um, which is very different than what I do now. But I learned the, the logistics and the hard part of logistics by wrangling, you know, thousands of bikers and how their, how their bike route is going to be throughout North Carolina and, you know, the train and all those things. So I had to, I had to troubleshoot a lot of things. Um, and that was where I kind of got the logistics you know, side of it. As far as um, the creative side and kind of furthering, you know, learning about logistics. When I first moved to Charleston, I worked for another planner here. She's no longer in the business. She decided to step out um, after, you know, about a couple years of me being there. But she, um, she taught me how to handle crises, how to, um, really understand the wedding timeline as a whole. And simultaneously while I was working for her, I was also working for Amazon. Um, I worked for their publishing company. Um, in, you know, not to say anything bad about Amazon, it just wasn't for me. I'm not a corporate job person. I'm not one that can you know, sit in a cubicle all day. So I, um, I knew that I needed to create my own path. And from there, I decided to start Sweetgrass Social um, with a partner at the, um, while working at Amazon and slowly transitioned out. So after about a year of that, then I um, you know, started, founded the company in 2009 and um, then went full-time after uh, a year of working multiple jobs and juggling that. Um, the creative side of it is what drew me to the business. I mean, I knew that I wanted to design events. Um, the first events that I took on were definitely more running logistics because I think everybody kind of has to start there and has to start, mm -hmm. especially when you, um, I didn't really have any connections. You know, I was starting from scratch. I mean, I genuinely started with $500 in my bank account and was like, let's just do it. Let's figure it out. Um, I didn't have any investors. I was just like, you know, we're going to have to build these relationships from scratch. Um, and we did. And, you know, it's been interesting. The people that started around the same time we did, like there's a lighting company we work with all the time, rental company. We have taken this journey kind of together and watched each other grow. And we have seen our businesses come from literally nothing to not knowing anyone to where they are today. And um, so every year has looked a little bit different, but I knew I was up for the challenge. I come from a family of entrepreneurs. I, um, I have that entrepreneurial spirit, if you will. It, it's, uh, I guess it's a, we're kind of gluttons for punishment a little bit, like, you know? Like sometimes I'm like, why do I do this? Um, but it, uh, that's kind of how I, I got started. I mean, I was just hard-headed enough where my parents were like, this may or may like you don't really know what you're doing and I'm like you're totally right but I'm gonna prove you wrong watch this and um here we are so I have so many parallels with that with my own uh family being entrepreneurs growing up in a family-run grocery store then tell you know then telling my dad after going into military that I was going to be a guitarist and I was going to like you know, but I had no skill <laughs> and you know and that that whole kind so that resonates with me like so much um, you mentioned something that was that was to me, and I think it would be really interesting to the listeners if we dove into 
you talked about how when you started in this industry that you didn't know anyone, you didn't have a contact, you had 500 bucks your name. Yep. Like what were some of the tactics that you had when you were starting and you were like, all right, I'm going to do this thing. What was the, um, what was some of the things that you tried and maybe failed with uh, maybe ideas that you had, or maybe just uh, focus on the things that you did that maybe did grow your business to where it is today? Yeah. Well, you know, I think that the foundation of our business is really on the relationships that we've developed over the years. So, I mean, I think developing those relationships were really key from the get go. Um, we made, we made it as easy as possible for people to work with us. And, you know, people in this industry don't always do that. We were, we made sure to go out of our way to make our vendors feel appreciated, to make them feel like they were truly an event partner and not a vendor. And um, because of that, we saw referral of business. We saw people being loyal to us. We were loyal to them. So they were loyal to us. And that's still true to this day. You know, we, um, we are really loyal to the people that have, um, have always been great partners to us. As far as failures, I mean, gosh, you know, trying to, <laughs> there are a lot, but trying to figure out pricing structure, figuring out, um, you know, underpaying ourselves for years um, or figuring out um, what the best strategy was for how we should file with taxes and things like that. You know, really, I would say that the, the biggest hurdles have been navigating the ups and downs of the finances. Um, but I think that comes with every business. And if you can, if you can surround yourself with the right people from the get go, that is going to be key. So having that person, if you're not great with numbers, having that awesome bookkeeper that's going to come in and work alongside you, you know, having a, having a great person on the legal side, um, having a business advisor. I mean, it took us eight, nine years before we even brought on a business advisor that was able to help us really bring the vision um, to kind of like tie it up with a boat. You need that third party um, person that's going to be able to jump in and, um, and offer, offer their feedback um, because, you know, it's, you're not always going to get it right. And that's okay. I mean, that's part of the process. I mean, that's what makes you better as a business owner, as a planner, um, as a person, really. I think so many people are listening to these words and where they are in their journey, uh, particularly people that are maybe a little farther along, they're looking at back and they're just putting their hands like in their, or their face in their palm, just thinking, you know, if I had heard that at this stage, of when I was at this stage of my business, I would have saved X dollars and X amount of time and um, X amount of resources and probably would have preserved X relationships that maybe went side because of my inability to outsource and my ability to find and, you know, and obviously there's times in the beginning part of being an entrepreneur and starting your own business, uh, even in this field where, you know, finances are thin you don't have the ability to go out and hire, you know, an accountant, like a top level accountant or, you know, uh, you know, a top level marketer to maybe like work on your SEO and work on your marketing, um, you know, ability to the world, you know, of, of clients that are out there. Um, but you got to wear, you, you sort of just have to pick up and say, all right, I'm going to become a part-time accountant and a part-time marketer. And I'm going to, you know, and, and you just do all these things and you work really hard at trying to get these things in a manageable or at a manageable level. And then it's hard to let go. 
Um, and that, you know, to me, that is like such a hard thing to, um, it's such a hard thing for people to, to really grasp and understand like, you know, okay, you got it to this point. Now you got a little revenue coming in and, and now it's about taking off some of these things that you're not your, your A plus self at, right. And then figuring out what you are the best at and then doing that. Isn't that so hard? I'm still trying to figure that out. Honestly, there's so, you know, I, um, I talk to our business advisor about this all the time that I have got to delegate some of these things that um, I know I'm not A plus at, but I've just done them all for so long that it just feels natural to me. And I will be able to be so much more productive if I'm able to hand over some of those things. But that is the hardest part about owning a business because, you know, and I do believe this is still true. I mean, I received this advice kind of early on in my business that no one is ever going to love your business as much as you do. And you've got to understand that. And, but at the same time, if you have people that come in under your brand, that if you treat your people in a certain way and you're with them during the hard times, they're going to be with you during the hard times. And we are so lucky that we have found that in our employees because they have been, they love our brand. I want to say as almost as much as we do. I mean, I know that it's, it's our baby and it's something that we started from, um, from scratch, but because we have formed this loyalty, um, I, I think that it's something that has been really beneficial for us as business owners. And I need to remind myself, okay, it's okay to let go of some of those things and let them do some of the stuff that you just want to control on. Um, and, you know, the times where you're literally living on an Amex and a prayer, because I mean, that's been like my life, certainly many times, especially during COVID. Um, I chose to take care of those people instead of even maybe necessarily taking care of ourselves first. And um, I think that's made all the difference. So that is 100% it. I mean, I found that like, it's when you find those people that are, um, that you can like trust when you're not looking over their shoulder to do the work um, and they're great personality fits for you. Um, those things are so hard to find. And like, you can take those for granted so quickly if you're not um, thinking about the long-term game of, of your business. And, you know, maybe sometimes it's easier to find somebody to do that particular job um, or, I mean, so easier, but maybe you could find somebody to do that job for say, you know, X amount of dollars less, but like, are they going to be that person that's going to best represent your brand along the way? And when they have interactions with clients or, you know, is that somebody you like to be in the office with all the time, you know, uh, and, and enjoy their company while you work. Um, sometimes it's just worth overpaying for that and, mm -hmm. and realizing that this is an integral member, a foundational member, I think of the business that I'm building. And, um, I mean, well said. Yeah. Well, I, that's just lesson learned over the years. I mean, I wish, I wish that was something that I knew from the get go. Um, and I would say for those that are considering starting a business and, or are in the early stages or even middle or even where we are, um, you know, it's, a, it's an important lesson to learn. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to trust people eventually and you've got to focus on the things that you're going to be good at so that your company will be able to survive. So. so tell me a little bit about like 
where you are right now and like, uh, well, obviously we know a little bit of that to start with, but maybe leaning towards the future and sort of leaning towards like, what are some of those goals that you have out there um, for your business that maybe um, you're not quite there yet, or maybe you want to get to what's like, do you have any sort of dreams as to how, like where um, your ship is sort of heading um, at this point? You know, um, I, I've been thinking about this a lot recently as to where, where I want things to go, what I want it to look like for me in the future. I think that COVID has brought perspective for us all. Um, you know, it's made us realize the things that we were good at. It's also kind of given me some time to, um, to breathe a little bit. And whenever I do have those moments of silence in my life, I feel like I get my best ideas. Um, so when I'm traveling or, you know, if I just have, a weekend off when my mind is finally at rest is usually when I don't feel stifled creatively that I'm able to really come up with these good concepts. So knowing that that had, I've given myself the space to understand that this year, I want to, I want to see more of that in the future. So what that means for me is probably focusing in on a smaller amount of weddings a year um, so that I can have the space creatively, but also to really transitioning more into like kind of a role of a creative director where I know that that's where I strive. And, you know, I've, I've run logistics for years and, and yes, I'm good at it. I know the things to anticipate now. I know when, um, you know, uh, extreme situations that may arise. Um, and I, I think that's something that can be taught. But my, um, my creative, my intellectual ideas, I can't really teach that. I mean, I can tell someone how I get to um, a concept, but I can't really um, pass that over to someone. So I, I would like to see, I'd like to focus more on that, draw back on the amount of events that we're doing a year so that I can give the logistics over to someone that is going to run with that and strive at that. Um, and I'd like to see myself kind of more in a role of making sure that I can focus on the design on the day of the event and making sure that, you know, all of the details are there. And so when the bride walks in that I'm there to greet her, but I'm, but I have paid attention to every single detail, not that I'm not now, but you know, if I spread myself too thin, um, then you, it, I feel like those ideas start to get stifled. So. Yeah. And, I think you're, um, I think you're, you know, speaking to the point of like focusing in on, you know, not only what is a plus in your world, but maybe what's a plus that you really love and you really like, I mean, you may be a plus at logistics, but like logistics may not be like your love, you know what I mean? And um, I, I, I feel that, I feel that in my own business. Um, and I feel that um, in a lot of people's uh, conversations that I have with them on this podcast that, yeah, they, they may be A plus at a lot of things, but doing, when you get to the point with your business where you can figure out how to build your team around you, that they are uh, doing the same level of work that you're doing, but then you can focus in on the A plus that really excites you when you get up out of bed every morning, that's when you're winning. Right. And, and I'm not there yet. I'll be honest. I mean, I'm about to start my 12th year of business and I'm still not totally there, at, but I am writing it down and making it an intention to get there. And I'm working with people that are going to help me do 
create a business plan that is going to get me there. And so that just goes back to surrounding yourself with those right people, um, you know, storyboarding an idea to make it a reality. And so you'll have to hold me accountable for this because 2021, it's my intention to, to try and attempt this. And, um, you know, I'm going to be working on kind of the business plan to get me there. But, um, you know, at, I think now's the time to do it. I mean, hey, we've had a lot of time to reassess and refocus this year. So um, I, I'm hoping that 2021 and 2022 will be my my chance to to rework things to make make the business work for me. So yeah, let's let's actually talk about COVID a little bit because the um, you know everybody has a different that I've spoken to have had different perspectives on the whole thing. Um, we're um, first you know, maybe question number one about COVID would be, um, how have you pivoted to, to keep your clients happy? And like, what, uh, maybe things have you creatively done to, uh, to make things work for them? Um, whether it's, uh, rescheduling or, you know, still keeping your date, uh, and, and also being able to, you know, abide by the laws of South Carolina, but also two, uh, what do you think out of, uh, COVID, um, and like these, do you think this virtual wedding thing is going to be sticking around like long term, or is it just a, kind of a seasonal thing? So I'll let you go. Yeah, you know, I mean, South Carolina, we have taken a little bit of a different approach than a lot of other states. We've had a little bit more flexibility in what we've been allowed to do. So we've been back doing events since July. Um, a lot, majority of my spring events did push. So um, I think we had. 18 reschedules um, and a lot of them moved next year. Some for this fall as well opted early on to move just because they knew that they had families coming in from areas that were gonna be um, a little bit more restricted um, versus the people that were local here, they were more apt to continue on. You know, I don't know if you experienced this when you were here last week, but people that have visited Charleston have said, it, it's like coronavirus doesn't exist there. Everybody's just kind of operating as normal, somewhat. I mean, you know, everybody's wearing masks and whatnot, but um, but we've been, we've been unique um, in that we've been able to still have some events. And so I'm grateful for that, that we've been able to execute some this year and make it happen for our clients. Um, Guest counts have been affected for sure. You know, we've definitely seen more petite gatherings. I do think that will continue into 2021. Um, at least for my clientele, they're not the type that are going to want to do the virtual weddings per se. I mean, they would be more in the micro wedding category where it's spending a higher price per head, but having a more intimate gathering. So um, I see that sticking around at least for the next year. But honestly, the times where we've been able even able to have a hundred people there. People are so excited to be together that they are, they're ready to, to bounce back to normal. Um, so if anything, I think we may start seeing at the tail end of next year, following year, once vaccine is readily available, um, I think we're going to see the wedding industry bounce back um, in, a, in a strong way. Um, and I'm hoping that 2021, you know, first quarter may look a little bit different, but beyond that, I'm hoping it's gonna look pretty normal. Um, I could see the potential, I don't I don't foresee South Carolina going into a lockdown unless it was a national mandate. So um, as of right now, we're, we're kind of operating pretty normally here, which, which feels good. Um, I, 
I just did a wedding in Virginia this past weekend and we got it in 24 hours before the mandate of um, the restrictions on the guest count. So um, it was, you know, it, we're just pretty much go, taking it day by day these days. We, it is a lot of like curveballs being thrown at us. And um, I was talking to somebody yesterday, they were like, you just need to accept and agree that next year for the, at least the first six months, you're just pretty much going to have to operate in the same way. It's just like, there's going to be a lot of wild cards. There's going to be a lot of, you know, things that are thrown at you and you're just going to have to be adaptable. And I think that is the theme of 2020. We are just being adaptable. Um, but we've done our best to make people feel comfortable at the events. Um, we have tried to come up with some creative ways to still be able to have fun place settings and password d'oeuvres and all of that. Uh, it just looks a little different. So yeah, it's, it's really, everybody's had a different sort of take on this because depending on who I'm interviewing, they're in a different state and, you know, they're, everybody's, you know, governed by uh, different laws and mandates and such, or no mandates. Um, you know, I can say that Charleston's been pretty, when I was there, everybody was being very respectful and everybody was kind of wearing a mask, you know, out of everyone's courtesy and, you know, and there's, you know, there's signs everywhere, you know, saying, Hey, just, you know, take care of your brother kind of thing. Um, you know, we're all in this together kind of, uh, kind of vibe, but, um, but yeah, I, I really think that you're, you're, you're on it as far as, you know, us just being in the South, we have a different, um, uh, there's just a different temperature of, of people here. And, um, you know, uh, without getting maybe too political, I would say that, um, you know, with Georgia's governor, uh, he's very Republican and he's he's going to, you know, have his way of thinking about, you know, not necessarily shutting things down. And but the city of Atlanta mayor that I live in, she I think if if it was all of her things, she would shut everything down right. um, if it was her call. So like it's a um, it's a very interesting time because we're constantly we're trying to move our businesses forward <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and trying to be aggressive in uh you know marketing our materials and, and getting word out about the wonderful work that we do and yet at any moment you know the government could come in and just put the stamp down and say that's it well and yeah and, and i shouldn't say like you know south carolina obviously people have taken it very seriously here it's not to say it's not, our cases have just been different like we have seen a decline in cases so we've had the ability to do that and i feel lucky and blessed to be able to continue those events this year because the honest truth of it is if we do go into another lockdown, that's going to be the nail in the coffin for a lot of businesses. I mean, it is something that I'm hearing from all sorts of different people um, in different states and friends. I mean, I feel really bad for my friends in North Carolina that have have these businesses that haven't been able to do really anything this year. Um, and it's been detrimental to them. And I, I just don't know how that this industry will be able to sustain another lockdown. And so I guess my point in all that is to say is not that like, you know, I know we sound like the wild west here and people think that we're just like, you know, going rogue in Charleston. We're really not. I mean, people are taking it very seriously. They've taken a lot of precautions that have actually cost more for people on the day of um, to ensure safety. And we've just been in a different, in a different um, state than other people because we have seen a decline. So we've been fortunate enough to continue with these events this year, but make them safe for our clients because we, we do take that very seriously. So. Yeah. I, uh, I couldn't agree more. 
um, it's just uh, it's a different ideology um, of, uh, you know, of our leaders. Um, and uh, we have been blessed to be in the South for that. Um, you know, so that's uh, that's kind of um, that's kind of just by luck of the draw, you know, our our geographic location has allowed us to stay kind of open, you know, um, even though, you know, we may be, you know, on life support compared to like what we had planned off for 2020. I don't know about you, but my 2020 was supposed to be amazing. It on paper, it was gorgeous. I was so excited for 2020. <laughs> I was talking to one of my friends, uh, we just were commenting back and forth on Facebook last night, um, my friend who's a planner in Chicago, and a year ago today, I was in Nevis on a fam trip, um, they had us down there, and we were talking about, I remember having this conversation with her, like, we are headed into our best year ever, we are going to crush it in 2020, we are going to have some of our best events, we're going to, you know, pay off some debt, da, 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 fast forward one year later, we were like, we, what we would give to be sitting on that beach right now to be like gearing up for this, you know, amazing year. Um, it looks, it looks really different, but, <laughs> but, you know, I'm still going to hold on to that same optimism going in 2021. I do anticipate things, you know, to turn around. Like I said earlier, I do anticipate that we are going to see this wedding industry bounce back um, stronger, you know, than ever. It's just going to take a little time. Um, and that's, that's the way that business works. I mean, I've seen it ebb and flow over the years, and I think it's going to continue to be that way. Um, we're just going to kind of have to hang on and and ride through it. My my business advisor always says I'm one of those people though that like you throw something at me and then I'm like, all right, well, what are we going to do next? Like, what's going to be next? So I I hope I'm not being too overly optimistic, but I also think that you know just like when planning a wedding everything can be fixed. There's a solution for everything. We're going to figure it out. It may not be the way that we intended, but we're going to figure this out. So that's the way I feel about it. I feel like one way or another, people are still going to figure out a way to get married and uh, people are going to still figure out a way to need the services that all of us provide. Um, it's just, uh, it's, you know, there's a few things that you can count on in life, taxes, <laughs> death, and people getting married. So, uh, you know, so as long as people still want to get married, I think our jobs are, are, are safe if we can weather the storm. And that's the that's been the hardest part is watching uh, colleagues that you and I both know that are in this business that, um, you know, that are, you know, that are just hanging it up. And they were good people and they were doing great things. They were uh, very talented at what they did. Um, and by no fault of their own, it's just like that restaurant owner that you know, that had the, um, you know, the, the profitable restaurant that's operating on a one to 3% margin, you know, they're crushing it. They're doing excellent work. Uh, and by no fault of their own, you know, uh, this, uh, this, this horrible, horrible COVID-19 has, you know, just ruined a lot of people's businesses. And those are the hardest people to, to see go that ones that didn't, you know, that didn't really deserve it. You know, they didn't make a bad business decision it's just, just the way that it works. Um, but, uh, but man, I am so hopeful, just like you, I'm optimistic for the future that, um, when things bounce back, people, um, the community of people are going to come together in a way that maybe they've, uh, taken for granted, um, like the, you know, the value of communion, uh, amongst friends for great events, such as weddings, 
um, I feel like are going to be uh, held on a higher pedestal. Um, you know, I think that people are going to want to be there for those social gatherings um, just because they've missed it so much, you know. Well, and, you know, kind of just speaking to having that community, um, we're, we're really, we are a saturated market, but we also, too, have really strong friendships amongst um, other planners here in town. And um, we have really leaned on each other during this to really talk talk each other off the ledge like it's going to be okay we are going to weather the storm and here's how and if you can't here's how I'm going to support you to make sure that you do and those those types of friendships too are invaluable like you have to have those people that you can lean on because it is much it is much easier to do this business if you have um have those people you can surround yourself with so I'm really grateful for those relationships um like one of my friends was on your um, podcast earlier too, Haley. Um, yeah. like we, we lean on each other very heavily. I mean, we probably talk, you know, three to four times a day. Um, all of us, all of us do, because we, um, we want to see each other be set, successful. And also too, you know, when it comes to clients, we know that we're not everybody's style. And so having those friends that you can refer to, you'd be like, you know, I think you'd be an awesome personality match for this person. I think that is so important to have that because you can't be everything for everyone um so yeah it's it's awesome to to have those industry or those industry connections so yeah Haley is amazing uh and if you're listening to this podcast for the first time you should go back and listen to Haley uh speak I mean so wise so smart um and she just has this I feel like to and you'll see when you listen to it, um, she had this ability to just sort of like look at everything as if she's like 3000 feet above it, yeah. you know, like with this, like this overarching uh, sort of wisdom kind of vibe, you know, uh, love her. She's uh, she's a wonderful person, but I like to ask these questions towards we while we get to the end of the, uh, the podcast here. Like I like to start, I like to dig in a little deeper to you to figure out who, you might be, and to cue our listeners into some of the things that maybe you like personally. Yeah. So uh, it's it's uh, it's almost like a rapid fire round of of speaks uh, or, or of sorts, um, but uh, it's all PG thirteen. <laughs> uh, so tell us. Um, I'm I'm just gonna ask some general questions. You go out. You go off on a tangent. You let it, you tell us um, uh, a little bit about who you are. Um, we'll start with. Um, how about we start with what's the last, uh, what's some of the music that's like inspiring you these days? Do you have anything? Um, well, yeah, I've got a, I've got a long playlist. Um, I, I like a lot of soulful music, if you will. Um, I actually love to listen, listen to gospel music, um, especially in the car. If I'm going to need like, you know, a pick me up. I love Otis Redding. I love, um, Ray Charles. Um, I like, you know, some of the oldies. I mean, I, not that I don't listen to current things too, but um, I, I love like a raspy voice, you know? I mean, just like somebody that has just kind of sold their music. I love Garth Brooks too, because I think he's an amazing storyteller. Um, I love to listen to a lot of his music. So I'm a little bit all over the board. Um, and I have a playlist that I created this summer that is very schizophrenic, but it's always my go-to list that I put on in the car to get me going so ray charles to me is like there's 
when he sings hymns uh uh or even like uh like modern sounds of country western music oh my gosh that album yeah. is just if, if you've not listened to Ray Charles and you like country music, or even if you don't like country music and you like Ray Charles and you like soul music, go listen to Modern Sounds of Country Western Music. It's a Ray Charles singing all these classic country songs, but like in kind of a slightly different way with like these really great arrangements. Was that? When he did Ring of Fire. Is that on that album? I'm yeah, sure. dude, like the way he sings those songs, I mean, there's no one to me that's saying sadness better than Ray Charles. And there's also someone, uh, there's also uh, no one that's ever saying happiness and joy like Stevie Wonder. Um, I agree with that. Yeah. And I'll be, I am a, I wasn't even alive when he was alive, but I am a diehard Elvis fan. Like my 16th birthday, my parents took me to Graceland. I celebrate his death day, his birthday, like we have dinner parties. I cry watching the 68 comeback special. Like it is insane. So if there is one, like one album or one, one artist I would take and listen to on repeat, it's always the King. You, I mean, you can't top the King for me. You can't so. top the King, man. Listen, fat Elvis era. Yeah. Like that was my favorite, like battle him of the Republic, like where he's like, obviously got this huge gut, you know, and he's up there singing all these, like, that was my favorite Elvis era. I mean, all the young songs are great. Like, you know, the, the hound dog and all that stuff, but man, um, just that when he started incorporating orchestras and large, uh, orchestral arrangements in his music and stuff, that was my favorite. Uh, but, era. Like, and I'm going to narrow this down for you. I'm this much of an obsessive Elvis fan. I, yeah, I was not a rockabilly Elvis. I, you know, 68 comeback special, like I loved that Elvis, you know, but then early seventies when he started playing out in Vegas and before he started to forget his lyrics and he was started like, he really derailed. Honestly, after he divorced Priscilla, I'm, that's really for me when he started to kind of really derail. But he, um, I loved the early seventies Elvis where he was playing all those shows out in Vegas and, um, Oh, there's one called, one song called Just Pretend. And it's like the way that he sings it. I don't know. I just feel it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I mean, I, there will never, I mean, uh, when you look at an artist and you trace their career, there's just, there's not many more uh, that I, that, you know, that I'm a fan of like the whole arc of the career. And there's always that one era that everybody kind of goes back to. Um, and from Elvis, for me, it was, it was fat Elvis, man. I was all about fat Elvis. Like when he, when he gained the pounds, like that's when he, that's when he stole my heart. Well, you know, he's, I, um, I have cookbooks of some of his favorite things that he liked to eat. And, um, I get it while, why he was fat Elvis, because I mean, it's all just the really good Southern cooking that you just, that I am gearing up for this Thanksgiving week. <laughs> I think we all need a little turkey after 2020. We all need the stuffing. We all need the turkey. Uh, give me all that dressing. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. So, um, so speaking of food, um, if you're uh, if you're feeling down or out or happy or sad, is there something that comes to mind that like just like it's like your go-to? Um, it could be a restaurant too, but you know, but is there like a style of food that just like usually scratches at you, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm a Southern girl at heart. So like, give me all the carbs, give me all of the like, you know, just like we use a pound of butter and everything. Um, my mom's a phenomenal cook. I eat, 
if I'm feeling down and out, well, halls is great, you know, but obviously I, uh, I kind of go there on special occasions, whatnot. But if I mean, I just need cover, it's like the casseroles, the mac and cheese, the mashed potatoes, you know, everything that just packs on the pounds. So. <laughs> I mean, if you, yeah, if you go to house more than uh, once a week, you might, you might run out of money uh, of all the money that you're making in the wedding industry. Uh, but, uh, yeah. but man, uh, it is true. Uh, it's hard to avoid. Uh, it's hard to deny that living in the South, you know, every now and then you just need some good fried chicken, you know? Well, you know, for me too, it's about like, I want to cook. I, like, I love to cook those meals too, because it keeps my family around the table longer. You know, something about those Southern meals, people want to sit and talk longer. And that is where I think some of the best conversations are had are around the dinner table. And so I uh, try and make it a priority in our house too, like with the kids, like, all right, iPads down, like we get to do whatever we do to sit around that table because that's when you like really, you know, that's how your kids form their personalities. You get to hear what's going on in their day. You get to kind of digest everything. And um, so if you cook something good, they're going to stay longer. I mean, it's just like all vegetables. I mean, they're going to like, yeah, they're out of here. So I love that. Are you much of a sports person at all? Yeah. I mean, I, I am. Um <sighs> The Panthers and I, I, well, I grew up in Charlotte, so I am, was a big Panthers fan. We're kind of on a break this year. (laughs) (laughs) They got rid of so many of my uh, favorite players. I realize we're in a transition, but, you know, still my feelings are a little bit hurt. Um, My sister went to Auburn, so um, I'm a big Cam fan. I know he's controversial. I mean, people either love him or hate him, but... I'm a Cam fan, and so I was sad when he left. Um, I do like, you know, Auburn, and um, but beyond that, you know, I'm not like diehard any, you know, anyone. My husband is. My husband's from Cleveland, so he is like president of the Browns backers here. Bless his heart. But you know, well, I uh, I gotta say that, um, you know, I don't know how a woman that happens to be a football fan can't be a fan of Cam Newton. I mean, the dude is stacked and jacked and you know and like a just a you know I mean he's like aesthetically has to be a 10 right I mean like the guy's like super handsome absolutely and I love his his wild card outfits I'm like I can't wait to see what crazy thing he wears next I'm I'm here for it so um I mean he just beats to his own drum I love that so. If I had fa- if I had a budget like that, I'd have a fashion wardrobe that's just like unbelievable, you know. But I don't. <laughs> no, I mean he's super dedicated to to um, his workout and everything. I mean you can see it. Like he, I mean I know he posts about it all the time, but I mean he's he's really dedicated. And I um, I hate that he just hasn't quite gotten there in the NFL. I mean I know he's had some great years, but. Mm. Would have really liked to win that Super Bowl. That was a that was a hard one. I was out in Vegas watching that, and I was pretty devastated. So. Yeah, I mean, imagine being a Falcons fan. <laughs> I'll feel it too. So. Yeah, I mean, you didn't have a twenty-eight to three lead in the, you know, at half. So uh, that's even worse. <laughs> I can yeah. promise you that. Um, cool, man. I mean, uh, let's see. Uh, we talked about food. We talked about, um, oh, are you a coffee or are you a tea person? Oh my gosh. Coffee. Like I, I drink way too much coffee. Um, several cups a day. I've actually got my coffee here on the side. Um, Starbucks in business. So 
Um, oh, you you you're you're the one that keeps Starbucks in business. Well, me and me and many others. But, <laughs> um, I yeah I when I look at how much I spend on coffee, I probably could pump the brakes on that. Well, I I finally pumped the brakes on it because I'm really into espresso. So I love, and I have a hashtag. I've never said this actually on a podcast ever. I have a hashtag. It's called Eternal Quest for Coffee on Instagram. And so I, I, yeah, Eternal Quest for Coffee. It's uh, on Instagram. If you type that in, you will see all of, of the coffee shops that I have been to in the United States or abroad. And it's, there's, I mean, there's less than a hundred of them. So like, you know, but it, I always like leave a little bit of review, like the espresso was good. It was meh. It was, you know, and I try not to be too rude because I'm tagging all these people, and then, you know, uh, but like, it's, uh, but like I, I, I live for uh, espresso and I don't have it in my house for the reason that I can go and enjoy it in other places and like have that, uh, that love and feeling, but I make pour overs at home because, mm-hmm. uh, that's the, probably one of the few things aside from guitars that you see like hanging up in my yeah. periphery. Um, but cause I was a good, you know, I am and still and have been a guitarist for like 17 years. The uh, that's probably the one thing that I spend a little bit of money on more than I should, because it, you know, it costs 17 cents to make a cup of coffee. Um, yeah. And the markup on it is just extraordinary. And I will go and buy, you know, $15 beans or $18 uh, pound of beans and then just, you know, divvy those up and grind them and put them into a pour over. And I, cause I just love the good, I, truth be told, I had an ex-girlfriend that totally ruined me on coffee. She was a total coffee nerd. I used to be able to drink QT coffee and it was fine or gas station coffee. Yeah. And now I'm spoiled and I can't go back. So I, it's her fault. Did you find a good espresso in Charleston? Yes. Um, uh, I went to highfalutin this past time. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, um, I'm trying to think of what it's near, but I can't remember the neighborhood. Uh, but it's, uh, I went to highfalutin coffee this time. Uh, it was great. Um, also, um, near hotel Bennett, there's a place called cut Kudu. Kudu. Oh, yeah, we actually did their wedding. So one of the, um, one of the owners there, we, um, Josh, we did, um, him and his wife, Beth's wedding. Gosh, that was probably seven years ago now. Um, but yeah, we love them. They're, they're awesome. They've been around forever. Um, I say, yeah, I always stay near that area because it's just so accessible, um, uh, to pretty much everything. And the, uh, that coffee shop was one of the first ones that I checked out in Charleston and they, they're great. Mm-hmm. Super great. Yeah. Always, and, and the, the thing that always get okay, so here I go. Uh, you're, I'm sorry, everyone. I'm just, I'm going off into this world. Here we go. Um, you know, for me, when I can't get espresso in a nice cup, I don't bother ordering it because I don't like drinking espresso in a paper cup because I think it just ruins the experience. Mm-hmm. So in this COVID time, some places are doing that, some places aren't. But in this particular place, um, you know, I, if I don't always get like a cortado or something because it, it's less milk and it gives me a chance to at least uh, try the espresso out a little bit, um, even though it's equal parts milk and, uh, and, and espresso. But the temperature of the milk is very important because if it's like super hot, then it's just, you're just, you're burning the milk and you're, I'm not tasting the espresso like I should. 
again, I'm sorry, everyone is <laughs> listening to this, but, um, but the, uh, uh, but there at, uh, is it Kudu? Kudu. Kudu. Yeah. Okay. So they, uh, every time I've gotten an espresso from them, it's always been a good temperature. So I know that they're well-trained and I know that they're not exceeding that thermometer on the, uh, when they steam the milk. So hats off and shout out to Kudu because they are killing it. You know, going back to the, you know, having to have it in a certain type, like not in a paper cup, um, <laughs> that resonates with me because my mom is very much this way. She has gone to the point of embarrassing us before at restaurants because she will not drink wine out of anything but an actual wine glass. And if it's a plastic wine glass, it looks like one. No, that's a hard no for her. She won't do it. She says it tastes, changes the taste of it. Um, like we'll be out on out on like a boardwalk or somewhere and they're like, oh, we don't allow glass here. Doesn't matter. Like she's like, I'm gonna need you to make an exception. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, it's just, I mean, honestly, it just it doesn't taste the same. It you taste the paper cup more than you even taste the espresso in, in a lot of ways. And so, um, you know, for me, I uh if I if I would make uh if I ever put an espresso machine in my house, I would die. Like I would be I would be in that like every five minutes making another one so I restrain from putting that in my house so that I can go places and experience it and I also use it as like my or um if I can so well if um, anyone needs a major surprise gift for you they've just gotten their best idea ever. <laughs> yeah send me a pound of beans uh you know uh you know that's the uh like come and install one in your house. That'd be great. Yeah, that also too. All of a sudden these these two men in a truck roll up with an espresso machine. Oh my God, that would, uh, you know, you want to make my day. Um, you want to ruin my business. I might be like, every time I do a podcast, I'd be talking like this, you know. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's cool. Um, okay, so are you, uh, well, you live at the beach. I do. So if you have a choice between beach and mountains, I mean, are you still sticking with the beach or... Yeah, I stand by the beach. I, um, you know, I was in the mountains this weekend. It was nice to be there for a couple of days um, and I enjoy it, but it doesn't give me the same peace as knowing that I'm right by water. Also too, those roads are too windy. You got a lot of like wild cards when it comes to, I know we've got hurricanes, but like, I mean, you're like tumbling off the side of a mountain if you like take a wrong turn here. So uh, <laughs> I think, I think definitely beach for me. Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, that's, I mean, you live next to it. I was just, uh, I was just at uh, Wild Dunes uh, this past weekend, and I just like walked right out and I looked at the beach and I was like, man, this would be pretty nice to have within a fifteen-minute drive or so from my house every day. You know, like I, you know, it's terrible. Like the back of my neighborhood actually overlooks um, the marsh and looks out to Isla Palms, but I can't tell you that I go out there a whole lot. I lived on Isle of Palms for the first five years that I lived in Charleston and it was awesome. Um, mm. But maybe that's why I don't go out there as much, but I like to know that it's close by. And I think what I like most about it is the type of people that living on the coastal tracks. Um, everybody's a little bit more laid back in Charleston. You, you find dogs sleeping under people's desks, like in regular offices you know there's always those afternoons like if it's a pretty day people may cut out early and go out on the water um there's always an opportunity to meet somebody for a happy hour or cocktail i think that it it just creates 
a certain type of vibe. And I think that's what I'm most attracted to. I like the pace of life here. I love it. And um, I was just telling a colleague just uh, yesterday that I understand why people love Charleston so much. It is 100% just a step or two down, you know, and it, but things still get done. You're not on island time, you know, like you're on island time. Like, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've been to like Jamaica or some other island and, you know, you ask for a taxi or something and it takes like an hour for it to show up. You know, you're not, you're not on island time and you're, but you're not on major city time. And there's that beautiful balance in between where people just get it and it's fine. And, um, you know, I love that. Um, I, I totally love that. I think people value relationships here so much too. They value spending time with one another and it's easy to do because there's so many beautiful places like we talked about earlier to, to do that in. Um, so, I mean, it, when I go back to Charlotte, I have a very different feeling than I do here because um, everybody seems like they're in such a rush all the time. And it's like, we can't enjoy the one thing we're doing because we're worried about getting to the next. And um, I don't feel that here. I feel like people take the time to like kind of soak it in, so. I love that. Final question. Yeah. If there's been one piece of advice that anyone has given you to help you in your career and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and what's gotten you to here now, um, maybe what is that? Or if you have advice to give, if it's not something that you got, but you would give something like for these wedding professionals that are out there, what is that one thing? Yeah. I mean, I would say that um, if you're, it, well, as far as business advice and to for those that are looking to be a planner, you have to learn how to pivot. I think that, you know, especially to with the year that we've had, I think that's important to know and to understand that it's okay that every year is not going to look the same and that it's okay that if you as a person continue to grow and evolve and then you have to then make your business work for you from there. Um, I'm still learning that. And it's something that people have they've given me that advice and when I've actually stepped back and listened and leaned into that I have felt a huge sense of relief and I've been so much more productive during those times so if you're able to um if you're able to really allocate the things to people that are that you don't that you're not the best at like we talked about earlier I think that that's going to make you so successful and I'm hoping that you know I'm going to take my own advice here and in the next year really start to do more of that as well um and um and do my best just to be as adaptable as possible um in uncertain times but um you know like you said earlier too there's always going to be people be people that are going to get married there's always going to be a reason to gather um we just have to figure out how to do it safely and and pivot to make it um so it's doable so that's as good as anything i think it's about as good as anything you could say thank you so much for being here and being a part of this um everybody this was meredith this was sweet glass social i'm jacob deaton and we'll see you next time